Why don't you turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter three, and I'm just gonna like minister something. Um, that is about this season, and um, I'm calling this, I've <laughs> got three titles, Staying Steady in the Famine, Barren to Birthing, and Transitioning when the Brook Dries Up, and uh, they're all about the process that happens when we're in a season that's not setting our bells and whistles off, that we can't discern as well, um, that really is a transitional season, and I'm 54 and still trying to learn to do these better than I have done in the past. I sometimes miss what he's doing. I'm in the, I get in the fun seasons and the prospering seasons, and it seems easier, uh, but it's really honestly not. The Lord's asking for discernment for us because there's the give and the take. There's the, the, the contracting and extracting that happens in the process of the Lord. I've been around long enough. I should know this. He's led me into wilderness times, and he takes us to the public, and some things begin to really just take off. And, um, and so, but there, we're in one of those moments right now. And I wanted to just say that I think this actually applies to everybody's life. And it's kind of some stuff that's, that's um, I wish had been talked to me about when I was in my early 20s. Uh, just discerning the season you're in and beginning to agree with it. The Lord for me has often had to wrestle me into the next season. Because I'm so deeply hanging on to the last one or the ideal one that I want to come, and I'm missing the season that I'm in in the moment, you know? And the Lord's just never, ever wasting time, ever wasting time. And so in in Ecclesiastes, the wisest man ever to live wrote what you know is a pretty famous verse. It says in 3.1, for everything there's a season and there's a time for every matter under heaven. And then it goes on. You remember a time to do this, a time to do that, a time to live, a time to kill, a time to, it just, it goes through multiple of those things. Then down at 11, it says, and he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity in man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The, the, the first part of 11, I want to say, is that there is for everything a time and a season. And then there's the promise at the end of listing a bunch of them. You read them later. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So that means in context, there's, some, there's one that says it's a time for healing and a time for tearing. A time for living and a time for dying. And what this says here from, wis- from the wisdom from Solomon is that the Lord makes everything beautiful in its time. Every season, the good and prosperous ones and the dry and the hard ones have got purpose and are bridging us to the purpose of the Lord. And so I want to say again that I think that the body of Christ struggles, really struggles with staying in step and discerning their season. We're again either living in the past one or we're longing for another one and we miss the one we're in. We keep thinking if this and that and the other thing would change, then I would be able to get to my destiny. And that's just absolutely not the story of the Bible. Yet the scriptures are such a gift to us because they show us places where people stumbled in their seasons. They ended up missing them and it really muddied the waters in the process. And so one of those places is in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 10. It talks about Abram and he's going to be Abraham later. But I've referred to this a lot. The Lord spoke this into my heart, burned it into my heart in 1999. I thought it was a warning for everybody else I knew. But it was really for me, and it's a principle in the scriptures. And it's the story of Abram 
leaving his father's country in Genesis 11, you remember? And he obeys God at the call and goes into the promised land or what's Canaan land at that point. And he said, go from your country is what the Lord said, leave everything. And so he leaves it. Now, I don't know how well they were doing, but all the odds are that, that Abram and his dad and brothers and cousins were all prospering. They were all doing fine in Ur. But he leaves that and goes over in obedience to Canaan land and gets himself positioned. Listen, this is so huge. He gets into the land. He moves around the land. And we can pop through that. He goes to Shechem and various places, pitches a place, makes an altar at Bethel. It's so all going really well as he obeys God and is feeling the euphoria of that. But then in verse 10, if you'll jump with me to verse 10, it says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. So what this story is about and what the revelation was to me is that breaking the deluded seeming thing that I think is even preached often. If I obey God, then everything's going to go well. And it's just flat out not there. It didn't work in the apostles' lives. It didn't work. Jesus obeyed his father, ends up being crucified. Turns out amazing in resurrection power. But Abram gets into the land, leaves everything. He's got the favor of Yahweh watching over him. And he's moving around, pitches a tent, starts to set up worship of Yahweh in that place. And then a famine comes. God who can control the flow of rivers and droughts and food allows a famine. Now, if you read the book of Genesis, ever, the God, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They all three get their famines. And they're all amazing study about how you respond in famine. It's an amazing thing. It's the majority of the book of Genesis is how these guys responded. Well, Abram responds by, do you see it? God tells him to get in the land. The famine hits. It says in one place, it's a severe famine. It's really intense. And he goes down to Egypt and begins to use his wife, um, Sari, and she goes into Pharaoh's house and the guy begin, and Abram begins to prosper. He begins to prosper and begins to have a false dark narrative of actually a counterfeit narrative of prospering. The promises of God to him were, you're going to prosper, you're going to multiply, and a seed is going to come through you and bless the whole earth. And so he goes down and he in immorality, and she was his half-sister, he begins to sow this thing and use her in a way that prospers him. And then he comes out of there with Hagar. And so 10 years later, then you go to 16, Genesis 16, and he, you know, lays with Hagar and births Ishmael, which is what we have up on the planet right now. And so with, the, with Islam and all that's happening. And so the point of that is this, is that it's really important what you do in the famine. It's really important that you adjust your expectations. I don't think every time you obey, it's going to get harder. That's not my point. My point is this, is that sometimes, and even a lot of times I've seen, when people obey God, there's a kickback. There's a resistance. There's a testing time that happens. And um, that's really important for you to know because Western Christianity is going to kind of frame that thing just a little bit different. If you obey and get everything right, then everybody's going to like you and you're going to have success. And you're going to live your best life now. And I'm not trying to dog those who preach that. I'm just saying the Bible's full of a bunch of other narratives and other stories. And it's that there's challenge that happens. There's real challenge. There's real challenge when you get there. I posted a thing today. Maybe misunderstandings and mistreatment are not like proof that you're in the wrong place, but actually affirmation you're in the right place. 
It actually could be the affirmation that you're obeying God. So the case in point is all the disciples, they all die a martyr's death. They all die eventually for following Jesus. They gave up everything. Gave it all up and went after him. And their payment is gloriously in the age to come. And so the reason I want to talk about this with myself and with everybody around me is that I think we miss our seasons. The famine comes and we're like, hey, I know a place where there is no famine. I'm going to move my location. I'm going to adjust and keep looking for a prosperous place. And the Lord might be moving you. We're going to talk about Elijah here in a minute and it'll apply in a different way. But the, but the Lord often is wanting us to stay in place. So what's ironic about all this is about 400 years later, God's going to take a people out of Egypt and feed them in a desert, two to three million, for 40 years. So Abram is the father of that group that was in, lived in 40 years of famine. <laughs> and God's feeding them by raining down the bread of angels and feeding them. It's a stunning thing, really. And so Abram is really, it shows how much he missed that God could have rained down bread from heaven to keep him in his position as he did not move during the famine. Then we move forward to, I want to talk about uh, in 1 Samuel, one of my favorite, obviously, stories is the story about Samuel. It's spoken so much to me, but just one verse. Samuel came from a mama named Hannah. It says, but to Hannah, it's the beginning of the story, the husband Elkanah gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So she is the loved, he's got two wives, and the other wife's just pumping out babies really fast, and it looks like she's got the favor of God, and Hannah's not, and Hannah's going through a ton of distress. And we see her, even at one point, praying so hard that you can't hear sound or mouse moving, and Eli thinks she's drunk. But out of her barrenness, births a Samuel, who brings them out of the worst 400 years, arguably, in Israel's history called the book of Judges. And Samuel's born and restores the presence of the Lord and the word of the Lord back to Israel. And it came out of a barren woman, a woman who was struggling for years and could not get pregnant. And she's in anguish through the process. And I think the point, again, being, this is obvious, is that barrenness is actually a fruitful place when God's timing comes in the midst of it and he begins to birth what's of him. It's not this other woman has all these kids and we just don't even hear anything about them. But Samuel comes forth and transforms a nation. So I guess I'm asking this, is have you had barren moments? Are you in a barren time right now? Is there something happening in your life ministry or relationally that's <clears throat> really clogged up and you're like, man, it must be over. I got to repent of some sin. And maybe the Lord is dealing with something, but sometimes he's not doing that. I'm telling you. Some people are like, I'm getting kicked back and I, things aren't moving well, I must have lost the anointing, lost favor, or I'm in some kind of big sin. And the Lord's like, what are you doing? I think so much higher than you. I'm moving you through seasons that come and go so that I can set you up for birthing. Does that make sense? And so, it really takes some wisdom to navigate this. In 1 Kings, we see Elijah doing this. It's just an awesome one. And I kind of want to just lift some of these principles up. But Elijah has this happen in his life. It says, now when Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, in 1 Kings chapter 17, said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, he said, before whom I stand, there'll be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. 
And so he speaks a word. Elijah just shows up out of nowhere and he speaks a word of judgment over Ahab and Jezebel. And they've got a bunch of prophets and it's this idolatrous kind of immoral, scary, fear-based thing. And he, he announces a judgment from the Lord by his authority. His ministry is announcing there'll be no more rain unless I say there's rain. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, after he had said this, depart here, turn eastward and hide yourself at the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan. That's where I want you to go. You just gave a word that could get you killed. You're stopping the flow of rain that's gonna inflict pain upon a kingdom, a wicked kingdom. And I want you to come under my place and come to the place of provision, which is the brook Cherith. And you're gonna drink from that brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed you. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord and he went and he lived by the brook Cherith. And so he's safe, he's down by the brook, Water's flowing every day. The ravens are bringing in fresh baked bread and barbecue, and he's eating every day. I don't know how many times a day. I think it says morning and evening. They're bringing this stuff in. That would have been a crazy moment. And you're under the anointing. The whole nation is freaking out because rain has stopped and drought has come. You're by a brook, and then you all know the story what happens. And the ravens, verse 6, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook and then seven. And after a while, we don't know how long, the brook that was giving him drink dried up because there was no rain in the land. Why was there no rain in the land, everybody? Why? Elijah. His ministry caused his pressure. His, his prophetic proclamation on a wicked kingdom actually began to dry up his resources. Now, Teach that in ministry school. That's not a big seminary class. We're going to do a whole thing on how we want you to obey God, get where he tells you to go, and the result of you obeying God is going to cause all your resources to dry up. Who's signing up? That's just not, that's just not how we sell ministry, which is sad to say. They do this, or Elijah does this, and he's in the position God told him to be. He obeyed, and now he's getting the consequences of his ministry. I just want to encourage you. I hope the consequences of your ministry is a whole city loves you, and everything's wonderful, and they're applauding all the time. I highly doubt that's where it's going. I highly doubt. I, if you're obeying Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and you're confronting an antichrist spirit in the earth, you're going to come up against it. It's taken me a long time to get this, a little bit because I'm just like, I'm so, I got shame and I'm worried about what did I do and I'm listening to the accusation of the enemy and listen, you need to respond to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. We do need to make adjustments. I'm not saying that's not true, but I'm telling you there's a whole load of junk coming your way because of what you bear, because of what you're prophesying, what you're praying and what you're releasing and it actually will put pressure on the position God puts you in in that position. So the brook dries up, and I was talking to Amy. I'm like, I wonder how that happened. I don't think that was one day. I think he went out, and like the, it was, you know, it was three feet deep, the brook. Then it was two, and oh my gosh, it's only one foot deep. And then it's trickling, and he's having to go through emotional, I thought the brook was my supply. I thought the ravens would, you know, I wonder too if they were bringing a little less bread. I don't know. But either way, things are shifting for Elijah. And then the word of the Lord comes to him in verse 8, and he says in verse 9, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. And you know the story as he goes over there. And so the, the principle is fairly simple, but it's this. 
your ministry may cause you pressure and the position you're in may dry up. And the question is, are you, are you willing to move? Are you willing to move with what he's doing? Not, he didn't move because he'd heard the widow had supply. She got a bunch of water and a bunch of bread. I'm gonna go up there. That wasn't what was going on. The Lord says to him, in the midst of his suffering, that who knows how, was it a week, was it a month, whatever, hey, I'm moving you from this to this. I'm gonna begin to supply you from a different way. This has happened to me so many times. I'm 54, I've been in ministry for uh, 30-something years. And um, there there is something that happens in you when you begin to have breakthrough and suddenly in the favor and the grace of God, something begins to seemingly work. You want to pitch a tent there and never go away. Um, I don't know if some of you have experienced that and some that are watching. You just, man, this is working. This is moving. It's the, it's wonderful. And then things begin to shift on you. And you're like, what in the world? I had this happen in the 90s. I, I showed up in 1990, October, in El Dorado with a one little baby, Amy, no insurance, and she's pregnant again. And we got no health insurance. So we're pre- and we come down in obedience from Kansas City because God told me on October 7th in a duplex in Kansas City, go to, go to El Dorado. I've given you a people, a place, and a purpose. Yes, this is awesome. And I was at, I was 22, 23 at that time. I'm thinking, everything's going to go great. It's going to be awesome. Well, we went down. We have a baby. They wanted us to pay for it. We were paying on Stephen, our second child, I think past the third child being born. Because we were making payments. We, we didn't have a real doctor. We were on the red team. Red herd or whatever it was at Wesley. And it was just tough. I was going out and working the oil field because there wasn't money. I, my pants would stand up, my dad said. They were just so filled with oil. It was just nasty every day. Coming on, working the oil field and staying in there. But I did have a seed of faith that was working in me. And within nine months, we had merged with a vineyard. The next summer, we merged with a vineyard. And it takes off, and this merger happens. And suddenly, I'm the senior pastor. And we got this worship guy. And it takes off. And we're just like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, the room had 15 people in it. Now there's 150 people in it. This is awesome. And then we start praying three times a day. Then we got to do two services and it's awesome. Then we plant churches in various places. And then the Lord tells me to leave. I'm in the middle of this thing and he tells me to leave. And I think everybody's going to be excited to go do this in Wichita. And they weren't as excited. They were mad at me. All of a sudden, the place where I had all this favor, they got mad at me. Can you believe being mad at me, Brad? Could you imagine? I went into him. I said, listen, this is awesome. This all, that just happened. In five to seven years, what just happened? Now we're going to go to Wichita. And I was so excited because the Lord spoke to my heart about it. And they all looked at me like, you're going to do what? And I found a new group of people that are hungry over there. And I'm going to, and they were like, no, just leave. Just leave. It feels like the other woman, these other people. It was really a bizarre time in the 90s. Are you okay? I'm just going to process my stuff here a little bit. It was just messy. And... I did not have the maturity at that time to process this well. I needed to prove to them how wrong they all were. And I wanted to show them how I'd heard from God and this would, it didn't, it didn't work out. Some of these people were mad at me for multiple years. Some haven't got over it to this day. That stunk. We'd hear gossip and slander and we were divided. I thought it was this whole growing family thing. Like, dead. So my, well, I'll pour into this church. I'll pour in. I'll just do Wichita, 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 Wichita. And Brock was around during this time. And we, 
I'm doing this thing and then the Lord hijacks me and says, I didn't call you to build the church. I'll build the church. What you're making is Ishmael, not Isaac. I'm like, well, that's bad news. And so I quit a church plant. I basically killed it, went into my home and did house church, tried to sell some stuff on eBay. Amy keeps having babies. She's, we're on four, five, six. I don't know where we are down in Derby. This is when I met the dwarfs, uh, your kiddos at that time, in a, in a house church. And I'm just trying to do my best, but we're just barely making it, barely making it, okay? And I've obeyed God and drove it all down, but it was just like famine, famine, famine. Then we do this business thing. It explodes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I missed it. I'm not a ministry guy. I'm Bill Gates. That's what I am. Everything I touch is golden, I, I flip houses, I sell stuff on eBay. It's just, I'm golden. <laughs> then stuff stopped selling. And I wasn't charming enough. And then we're borrowing money. And suddenly I'm $100,000 in debt. I'm like, famine, feast, famine. And he squeezed stuff out of me at the brook Cherith as the brook dried up. And moved me out of a position and prepared my heart to start the equip ministry in 2004 as I came out of hiding and paid off debt and Amy kept having babies, you know. And somehow he fed us. I don't know how, it's amazing. But it was famine and then feast. Famine, listen, when, when the prayer movement stirred up, I was in a famine time. It exp- I, so in 2004 we started equip. It just explodes again in El Dorado. We're down at a, we're down at a, a little uh, school down by a dump. It stinks. If the wind's, early, you remember, if the wind's blowing the wrong way, it's brutal. This is not an attractional church situation. The place just packed out. Mice everywhere. It just packed out. It was ridiculous. We didn't know what to do. Then we go to the middle school in town. People keep coming. I'm like, oh my gosh, favor again. This is about, we've reached it. In the middle of all that. And then some stuff hit the fan. Some people got grouchy with each other. They got funky with each other in 2011. It was a rough year. They were, I was like, the people are being nice to me are now being mad at me. They're being mean. I'm like, what's the deal? Don't they know I'm anointed and awesome? And they just had lost that a little bit. And so they're talking about me. Then they're mad at me. And I'm like, what just happened? And it kind of whittled down. And then we felt like the Lord had asked us to come back to Wichita. And I'm meeting in Great Harvest Bread with 30 people. Brock, was that? It was, I mean, something like that. We're meeting in a bread store in 2013, and I think we're going to explode over here. It wasn't exploding. A year goes by, a year and a half, and we're just in the bread store <laughs> doing our thing. I'm like, what am I doing here? I can't make anything work anymore. And I think actually in El Dorado, people are leaving again. I don't know what's happening. And I think it's all done, and then, not all done, but I'm just laboring at it, and it's weak again. And then I jump on a plane and go to South Korea, North Korea, in May of 2015 on a trip I didn't want to go to. And the Lord drops in my heart those global consequences for what you do with prayer in Kansas. In a hotel in China, I'm like, what am I doing here? They've tapped my phone and I think they're going to throw me in jail. I was just convinced. Prostitutes are sticking their, the, the flyers underneath the door. I'm, what am I doing in China? I hate traveling. Sorry, not a very missional heart. <laughs> this is just the truth. And in the middle of all that, pain, pressure, bop. Global consequences for what you do with prayer in Kansas. What? Global. So I get on the plane, Beijing, come back, graduate a daughter, and I start going after every prayer person I can find and talking to them. And here was the weird thing. They all start listening to me. 
They'll start listening. They're like, what? Yeah, let's do it. What do you want to do? Let's do it. People I didn't know, uh, I've told this story before. So guys were telling me, call the city together. And I didn't have any ability to call the city together. I didn't know anybody. One guy said to me, you knew all the black pastors. I was like, I didn't know one black pastor in the city. So, but I went and got to know them. And I say the word and suddenly a lift. Like, oh my God, they're coming to pray And the prayer meeting, hundreds, hundreds, thousands, oh my gosh. And I'm in the middle of a prayer movement. And then COVID kicks us in the gut. You can't meet anymore. And then it's like, where are we? What are we doing? Stay home for two and a half months. And then I'm over here and we kick back up at Reliance. I'm sorry, I'm almost done. I've almost caught up. You can do the timing. But I'm there again. I'm there again. Now, things are a little unusual because the connection, the city and the favor and there's just some crazy good stuff going on. And, you know, but a little bit there again of like thin, the brook drying up a little bit. And Matt and some others have heard me freak out, just freak out again. Like what's happening? And then the Lord's got my attention. I go, listen, what are you doing? Listen, here's the deal. And I'll I'll mostly end with this. When a pastor says that, he hardly ever means it. But I have always gone 2020 looking back, been amazed at how the Lord was working. And I know he's appreciative. I'm like, Lord, you weren't screwing up back then. You were really doing good. Praise your name. The deal is, is he's been challenging me to get on the upfront and start praising him before it happens. Does that make sense to anybody? I'll do it when I get through and I did the trip and then the prayer movement, woo, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm like, oh, of course it's working. You know, I'm acting like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just walking with the Lord. And he's like, listen, we're going to do this. I'm going to shut it down for a while. You're going to move this. That's why he said to me, don't try to repeat the last season. I need you to get ready for the next one. It's an amazing thing that about, about to happen. But I want you on the upfront praising me for what I'm about to birth. And I think that's where we are and where I'm at and where you're at right now. Right now. I think that he wants to shift our minds about barrenness, droughts, and thin seasons. I think he wants us to begin to heighten our expectation. Oh, if he's brought me here, then we must be about to have another baby. We must be about to birth something. And I think that's what's about to happen right now. I think um, that I'm at the precipice of a milestone in a moment in ministry. It's not about greatness and volume. I don't mean that. But I mean true impact clearer to my call. And I think it's happening to multiple of us in this room. And I just want to say to some of you that are younger, some that are my age and fellow sufferers, um, we've got to change our attitude and our mind about our seasons. Listen to this. Remember I said I was about done. This is the one. I think this is where I'm going to be done right here. In Luke 24, Luke, uh, I'm sorry, I think it's Luke 21. It says that the disciples, he's, he's pronouncing, I mean the Pharisees, he's pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem. How I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers, I've longed. He's speaking as Yahweh. He's God in the flesh. He's like forever one of Jerusalem to, he said, but then I showed up and you missed the day of your visitation. Their, their, whole, their whole life was about waiting on and recognizing and responding to the Messiah. The Messiah had manifest in their day. And the Pharisees just wanted to kill him. 
They wanted to kill the work of God because it did not make any sense and it wasn't as impressive as what I think they wanted. Now, there were power plays and pride involved, but I'm telling you, Jesus was a disappointment. I just heard from somebody, and Amy's not gonna probably love that I share this, but because we don't know that it's a fact, but, but uh, Nasser was actually telling someone that there's a theory in the Eastern whatever that Joseph, who's nowhere during the ministry of Jesus, possibly there's a, did not die but could no longer handle the scandal. Now, no one knows that that's true, but you do understand that Jesus' whole life, and even during his ministry, he was being accused of having no father. And you know the word for that. I can't say at church or wherever we are. He, there's an interaction with him in John 8 with the Pharisees, and they say, we know who our father is. We don't know who your father is. They didn't mean, we don't know if you're a Jew. They meant the old story that had been around forever. That woman got pregnant up in Nazareth. And she wasn't married yet. That thing followed Jesus' life. And listen, angels show up and talk about how awesome you are. And a miracle birth, and it is. And kings come from Iraq and bring you presents. That's pretty cool birth. But then we don't hear much from you for 30 years. What were Joseph and Mary doing? He's 15. He's 20. He's 25. <laughs> You're waiting, waiting, nothing, nothing. And it's not until he's 30 that the man with scandal comes forth as the Messiah. And we get three and a half years history of his ministry. That looked foolish. And had scandal around it. And I'm telling you what, look, even more foolish is three days of death. Let myself be killed. It's hard to process that. His leadership team couldn't process that. They left him and betrayed him. But it changes the world. A tomb becomes a womb that births a new movement upon planet Earth. So I wonder how your suffering is. I wonder how your desert and your barren place is because... I think it's real important that we lean in, and I wish I could have earlier leaned in to appreciate and praise him during these seasons because the Lord's getting ready to birth. He's getting ready to birth the most yeah, amazing thing we've ever been part of, and um, it's going to have to be by favor and grace. And so I felt like I was supposed to say that, so I just said it. And I'm making no prediction. I didn't know. But I feel like it's kind of like you don't have to know. Quit planning. And There's so many things that have, the, the greatest things I've ever had in my life and biggest things, I didn't plan them. I was surprised by them. I was surprised by them. It's just flat out the truth. And most of the dreaming I did in my ego never happened. But this other thing came and went, oh my God, that's better. I mean, over and over. And so to stay in the place that I'm waiting on him and he won't fail, is such an important thing for our lives. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, would you bless um, our family here and those that will watch this later, just asking for grace to uh, bear with the barrenness, to um, stay faithful in the famine, to stay in position if we need to, to move if you're asking us. Lord, we pray, though, that we would not panic and create Ishmael's and create all kinds of stuff just because we're panicked and trying to produce something. 
Father, I thank you that you've heard our thousands of prayers. I thank you that you've got promises that will never, ever fail. And I just pray that we could be like the Messiah that's prophesied, the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 11. He did not judge by what his eyes saw. So set us free to walk by faith and not by sight. Father, we give you this season and uh, we thank you for it and that you make everything beautiful in its time. Everything, everything you make beautiful in its time. I just pray for grace and the patience to give you time. Teach me, raise up leaders and young generation that would wait on you and never panic in the pause and never turn into idolatry the big season. I just pray our hearts could stay steady. Would you be our treasure? Number one. And may we learn from how you've dealt with us. You've never, ever failed us. And so just real quick before we leave here tonight, I wanna, I'd like everybody that's 25 and younger to stand up where you are really quick here. Just you guys, you youngies, yeah. I just wanna pray for you with my old friends here that are 26 and older. I want to pray for you. Um, I hope to God that you can hear a little bit of what I'm talking about tonight. Because it will save you from a thousand troubles. And so, if you don't mind, old people, extend a hand toward or a heart toward these young people. And let's just pray. Father, we pray for a young generation that can respond to your leadership when you lead them into the fruitful and bountiful place that's exploding with fruit or you lead them into the desert place. I pray they not panic. God, let them, may we be, may they be a young generation with maturity and wisdom beyond their years to be able to steward the seasons they're in. I pray they not move out of position. I pray they stay. I pray they not judge by what their eyes see and by success and fame. Lord, we pray for patience in the process, wisdom. Bless them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for that. Um, everybody else, old people, you got this down? Everybody good? You know what season you're in? What's the name of your season? Waiting, patience, and endurance. Anybody? What's the name of your season right now? I myself have been gestating for some, some time and my labor pains are increasing and I am about to give birth. I just am. I don't know if I'm showing. How far can I take the metaphor? Right over that line. But I've, I, thought the, I thought the uncomfortableness was something else. The devil always wants to tell you it's something else. And it's actually something growing inside you. 
something growing inside you that's about to manifest and come out. And the enemy wants to, that there's something wrong. And you got to fix it. And so I just want to encourage you to be patient. Be patient. Lord, I pray you bless all my friends with grace and patience to wait upon you, to not falter in the famine. God, to just, yeah. When the mistreatment and the misunderstanding comes, I pray we could delight in you. When they're all applauding and they love us, may we delight in you. Lord, I pray this would be the constant, that we delight in you, that we love you and you love us. And it really makes all the seasons look a little more similar. So bless us, Lord, and bring your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Ryan, you are pregnant, aren't you, buddy? I just was thinking about him and Bree, and they're doing the house, and they've stepped and obeyed with a handful of people every morning. I just want to pray, Lord, I pray you bless Ryan and Bree Wallace and their call to prayer and worship. As they do something that's not a Sunday morning thing, <laughs> um, Lord, I just pray, give them grace to not judge by their eyes, but to judge by discernment, Lord, in the spirit. So bless them and everyone else that's ventured out in ministries. Just increase their yeah, grace to wait upon you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I'm done. That's it. God bless you.